0: So, how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here's the answer. I'm AJ Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. All right, everybody, welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. This episode today is like having 10 episodes in one. And I'm not talking about the time frame in which, but the content. And the reason being is because we're interviewing. Two people that have a very interesting perspective. So, this is one that you absolutely don't want to miss because Clark and Jace, they're going to talk to us about all the interviews. They've interviewed hundreds of millionaires and they are going to talk to us about the success that these people have had, what sets them apart, but more importantly, what they have in common, and what they've learned from all these interviews. Both extremely successful in their own right, and they're going to talk to us about that. This is one that you absolutely want to have your pad and pencil out, take some notes on, because it is like having 10 interviews in one. I could not be more excited to have these guys on. So, Clark and Jace, thanks guys for coming on. I appreciate you having, being
1: here. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. And we just interviewed you, what, a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. That's
0: right. Right. Excited
1: to launch your show,
0: even though I think mine's going to come out first. So funny how that Since works. It's possible. <laughs> <laughs> so no, guys, um, why don't we? Why don't? Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience first, and let's kind of go into your guys's background, how you even ended up in a position to where you've interviewed all these millionaires, and why you guys decided to do this, and what, what led to this.
1: Yeah, I, I can take that I'll Start. As you fill in anything I, I mean, you're missing. So I grew up in Chicago, and then went to BYU. Did a, a church service mission for a couple of years and and Jason and I both went to the same location both volunteers met each other that way and then stayed friends throughout college went to Notre Dame for my master's came out to New York started at a big four accounting firm and now run the finance and accounting for a, a multi-family syndication investing and property management firm here in New York City and and Jason and I as we remain friends we start talking a lot about personal finance and one of the things we started realizing is as our careers kept going we started having the money to invest right outside of just 401ks and hsas and iras and that kind of stuff and we said how should we how should we invest Where, where should we spend the money Right. There's so many options, you know, small business, real estate, more in the market. How to diversify it in the market, index funds, mutual funds, single stocks, so or bonds, you know, what do you buy? And so that's kind of where the conversation started for us. And both of our, our dads and our parents, I should say, were open about money. And so we knew a little bit about their allocations and their net worths, but we really just started saying, gosh, what is everybody else doing? Right. What are the what are more successful? What are millionaires? What are deca millionaires doing? Right? How are they investing their money? And we could find some online. Some people are open about it. But that's that's what kind of started the show is we said, man, maybe we should just start a podcast. We couldn't really find anything about it. We couldn't find something like this. And so we said, hey, let's just interview them and ask them ourselves. And A, we can ask anything we want. And then B, we can learn and, and help others. So that's how the, the podcast was brought to life.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
2: So how about you, man? Very similar. I grew up in Washington. I was born in Texas. It's currently where I reside now as well. Uh, I majored in accounting uh did various things in in you know high school and grade school business wise um, went off to college and and uh, majored in accounting started a big four firm as well got a cpa license and then you know Clark like Clark mentioned we kind of got into talking and discussing about investing our money and what we were going to do as we kind of you know progressed in our careers and everything and that kind of was what you know kind of led to the show and you know I think what's interesting that, that we kind of have done is, is taking kind of more of a deep dive into the portfolios of these millionaires. And, and the hope it, you know, over time is that we'll be able to, we've gathered this data. And, you know, I think it, especially for me, it would have been interesting to see what a lot of, people's portfolios that are successful today that we look at and we say, Oh, they're a millionaire. What it looked like in 2006, 7, 8, 9, and 10, and kind of how it's progressed. And that's one thing that, that we'll be able to do. Clark and I are young enough, plan on doing this for a long time to kind of see how people's portfolios evolve with what's going on in the economy, what's going on with the market, what's going on with real estate, what's going on with you know our our country and the political environment and kind of track this data to be able to learn from it for for a long time. You know, a lot of people put together Theory of, of what millionaires are, but we've actually gone and, and actually talked to these specific people. And like we, we can put a name to the face and put the story to the name and all these investments that they have and what they've done with their, their portfolios. And hopefully, you know, we'll be able to get a, a good chunk of them to do it with us for, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years to have the data and be able to share that and learn from it.
0: Out of all your interviews, who was the one with the largest net worth and how'd they get there?
2: Yeah, so to date that's been David and and he's worth over a hundred million and a good chunk of it has has been his real estate business. And then he's taken a lot of those profits and put those and deployed them into real estate investments, such as like single family homes. He's got a large portfolio a hundred single family homes. And now he's kind of on his way to to put together a, you know, private equity type fund of of single family investments. So he's on our show. Now, ones that we've talked to that we haven't had podcast uh, interviews or, or released yet is, is actually a, a billionaire and he made probably 75% of his business or his wealth in selling a business that he started. Hmm. What industry? Uh, in the eyewear space. Okay, that's
0: interesting. So, out of all the millionaires, I, I got to ask this because you, you read all this stuff, but what is the most common? Industry that you you guys find millionaires in?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. It, it, it is all over the board. I Everybody, mean, it, everybody's waiting. They're just got their pad and pen. They're like, okay, what yeah, am I going to really go is, into? You
1: know,
2: <laughs> it's, you know, and that's that's one thing that's interesting. I mean, I know there's book. Chris Hogan came out with a book recently, and he said that the most common profession was a teacher. And don't get me wrong. We've had teachers on our on our podcast that are millionaires. I don't know that we can pinpoint that there's one profession that really stands out amongst the most. I mean, you know, I think their message and in, in, in just in general, with Dave Ramsey is that you can be the working class and get there. And, you know, in our you know, from our podcast and all the people that we've interviewed, it's been all across the board. We've had engineers, we've had accountants, we've had teachers, we've had business owners, we've had real estate investors, uh, we've had plumber, we've had a custodian. God, what am I forgetting? We've had doctors, lawyers. I mean, just every single profession. I think that the message too with all this is if you're in the top 5%, maybe 1% in some fields that are a little lower paid, you're going to get there. You know your income's going to be high enough as long as you're keeping your expenses low enough that you're going to get there. So really, there's not one profession now. There are some professions and some routes that will get you there much faster than maybe taking a a, a route as like a teacher that that we all know in this country, you know, traditionally starts at a lower paid salary, uh, you know, or, or even in the public sector. But that being said, literally any profession and every profession I, th- I feel like we've had on our show.
0: All right. I got to I got to ask you this one. We're going down this road. So you're you're talking about people's professions right now is what made the people the millionaires? Is it the professions and the savings? Or is it what they did with the savings? So was it their professions, but then they started investing? Or was it they just saved and kept such low expenses, their margin was big enough, and they packed it away? Like, what was it that created these normal working people, what turned them into millionaires?
1: No, it's a good question. And just to add real quick to Jace's, I'd say, um, even though we've had separate professions and totally different professions and, and stuff all over the board, I've been surprised by the amount of people that have had real estate holdings. More often than not, people have something in real estate, right? And I think we'll get into that of all the different things you can own and invest in, in real estate. But I, I would say, I mean, Jace, correct me, 60, 70% probably have some sort of real estate. And I'm not saying just yeah. like, a refund, right? Invest yeah. in the market, personal holdings. But, but to answer your question, I think it's both, right? I think with the teachers, this let's Lap episode that we just released, he was a teacher and I think he's never, he, he's I think he's a six figures now, but for some of the teachers that never made over 60 or 70,000, I think it was just living frugally and investing in the market. Right. And it would just, it would just compound and, and, and as they invested and blah, 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 it would just add up. But for others, I think it's, it's to your second point. I think they would have enough money. They'd save up cash and then they'd buy real estate or they'd save up cash and then they'd buy small business. Um, most of them, I think for the most part, most of the people are split between the markets and in some type of real estate or small business. There are people of course, that are just in real estate hundred percent that say, Hey, I can't control the market. So why would I even mess with it? And then there's people that are in the market and say, I don't understand real estate and I don't want to be a landlord. So why would I mess with that? Yeah. But for the most part, I think they kind of dabble on both sides, but to your out, question, out the entrepreneurs
0: again, out of what percentage of these people are, they're not employed at all. They're entrepreneurs
1: um, start so for businesses. ours it's probably been what jace five ten percent a small a smaller portion wow
0: now it's yeah a, okay i gotta tell you that's, that's very surprising to me. I would have thought it would have been the overwhelming majority.
1: Yeah. And maybe it's hard, right? Maybe that's just because those are the people that we've, we've gotten on the show so far. Yeah. Right. Or, or the people that want to share their story. I mean, we've tried to, you know, people have reached out to us and we've reached out to people and there's kind of a combination of how we find people. So we're doing our best to bring in all walks of yeah. life. No, and, I love that. Else. But the thing with the, with entrepreneurs and small businesses, if they're in small business, then that's pretty much what they do. Yeah. Right, yeah. they're not—they're not so much in the markets. They're not so much in real estate. They kind of pour it back into their small business. And David, the hundred millionaire—that's episode 100. He's—he's he's a little bit that way, right? He'll pour it into the small business. Now, of course, he has separate ventures and totally different things he's doing. But he's kind of all in when he's in, and that's how the the entrepreneurs are—at least that have a net worth of like you know two to five two to seven million. Then then they're all in on on their specific business.
0: It's interesting when you guys you you guys have like this landscape of all these people that have become financially successful from these different avenues. Talk to me though, in, in frameworks of time. So, because this is, I think one thing that a lot of people think about, they're like, well, I understand I I want to become financially successful, but financial success to me is ownership of time. So I want to know two things. First of all, out of the people you interviewed, who got there the fastest, how'd they get there the fastest, right? But more importantly, too, out of the people that you interviewed that are millionaires, how many of them don't need to work? As in, they actually have separated their time from their earning power.
2: Does that make sense? Well, that's, that's a tough question, first of all, because I, I think a lot of them are probably at a point where they probably could separate time from what they're doing, but I would say an overwhelming majority of them love what they do, even if they are employed, not self-employed, even if they're going to, to, you know, teach the the students or whatever, there's, there's only a couple that we've talked to that are like, look, I'm iron retirement. I've done the corporate life. I'm ready to kind of hang it up or whatever in terms of who got there the fastest, you know, we've had it, we had a Early, early on in our podcast, we had a guy who started a tech company and on paper, he was a millionaire essentially the second he raised a round of VC funding in his early 20s, right? It was an interesting episode because he actually lost it all and he went back to zero essentially a couple different times. And when we actually recorded the episode with him, he was not a millionaire at the time, but he'd been a millionaire multiple times. That's that's his life. He goes wow. and he raises VC money, you know, call it paper money. He's had a couple of times where he's had some exits and then he's taken all that cash and put it back into another business. And that business has flopped. And that's just kind of the coaster he rides. Yeah, You know, somebody who sustained it, Clark, I don't know.
1: Well, we had the guy early on that inherited the money, right? Yeah. Hell money yeah. About seven hundred and they inherited a million five. That's obviously the anomaly. I think we've had a couple guys that put a lot in Bitcoin and took a chance and, and made money. The other one, Jace that comes to mind, is the, the inheritors
0: oil. and gamblers, we don't want to talk about that. I know.
1: <laughs> I know.
2: <laughs> no, I, I think the, the point is what we found is you know, for the for the average person, it's taken them five to ten years. Maybe okay. maybe fifteen, you know, if they started out with some student loan debt, or you know, they chose a profession that required an extra schooling, like a physician or an attorney or something. They started out and they got a little behind the eight ball, but you know, once they got there, gosh, I, I mean, there's so many people we've interviewed where it's like, hey, I got the first, and literally the second came like fifteen times faster, and then the third came even faster, and the fourth, and blah blah blah, right? It's a big snowball, and we have plenty of discussions with people on our podcast about that how fast it went after that first yep yeah.
0: Now this is, I get, uh, we should have actually even probably started with this question. Cause I'd, I'd love to hear from your guys' perspective. Like I'm very opinionated on some of this stuff. And by opinionated, I just think like, like I believe that being wealthy and rich are two totally different things. Rich means you make money, uh, make a lot of money. Uh, being wealthy means you don't have to work for money. Agreed. When, and when you're interviewing these, these people though, that are financially successful, I've noticed that, Some people, the way they view, let's call it wealth, um, can be dramatically different from me, right? And some people that say they're not successful, I'd look at and be like, what are you talking about? You're really successful. Or there's people that say, I'm, you know, super successful. And I'm like, I don't even consider that on a scale of success. What is the range that you see? And what's the feedback that you get when people finally say, you know, okay, now I think that I, I am, I'm actually wealthy, or I consider myself financially well off.
1: It's a good question. I, I, for me, Jace, answer, if you think something different, I think it kind of coincides with a question we often ask is like, are you happy? And, and at, w- at what time did you feel you were over the hump with happiness level and freedom? And, and did, does all this money, if you're worth five, 10, 15, 20, does it make you any happier? Yeah. And I think it's similar to your perspective. I honestly do. I've been surprised at how many people we've talked to that have said, look, like it's a tool and it's a game, you know, money is, and it's nice to not worry about it's nice to, you know, that it's kind of taken off my back. And if I have a health issues or someone else has a problem or I can, charitable giving is a big thing, right? I can help and and I don't worry about it. But I I think again, for that, it's totally different. It's totally different for different people, right? There's people that we've interviewed that are at 1.1 million and they say, I'm done, right? I can live my life, my 4% withdrawal rate, my live on 40, 30, 40, 50,000, and I'm good. And then there's others that say, I don't want to do that. Right. And I want to push myself and I want to keep going. And, you know, yeah, I'm wealthy, but it's also being fulfilled and giving away and helping my kids and serving others and employing people. And so I know that's not like the sexy answer, but I think for, for different people, it it varies. Jace, what do you think?
2: Yeah. I, I would add to that, that, you know, for a lot of people, a lot of people do have a number and that number, you know, whether that, that number for them is where they, you know, feel like they have complete freedom. They don't have to worry about anything. The the one thing that I think has been super interesting though, is for the most part, as, the, as these people achieve more and more wealth, I'm talking personal expenses have not drastically increased business expenses, maybe, but their personal expenses have not gone up significantly, at least for a long period of time. Now we've talked to some that, you know, especially in maybe David's case, he admitted that, Hey, you know, for, for 20 years while I was building this, I was pretty frugal. And then all of a sudden I got to a point where I increased my personal lifestyle a little bit more than, than I had ever, you know, in the past, but a majority overwhelming majority had not increased personal lifestyle to any significant degree as their wealth's increased. Yeah.
1: I just add to that. I I think there's kind of two groups and I don't want to total. I, I don't know if this is totally accurate, but, but it's kind of just stood out to me as we've been doing the interviews. I think it's kind of like under 6 million and above 6 million or so five to seven, maybe is probably the sweet spot. And those that are above that are all in. Right. And, and, and they don't say like, Oh, I'm good with nine. You know, like oh, I'm going to, I'm going to hang it up. Yep. Whereas with one, two, three, four, they say, well, what do I need more? Yep. I have enough you know i, yeah. I i'm going to do i'm going to be able to do whatever i want i'm going to be able to give back however much i want i live a simple life but then once they get to 7 8 10 plus then they say look i'm going to grow my business and i'm all in and i'm focused and and so i don't know exactly what that number is but i think it's probably around 5 or 6 where the people are north south the attitudes a little bit different and not saying one's right or wrong right it's just the people that i think get above 5 are want to keep it growing? That, and get it that's it's a different the, mindset. Actually,
0: yeah, that's actually the number I've I've pointed out. I've always said you can you can basically. There's three groups. There's first of all, there's under five million. Then there's five to fifty, and then there's everybody else. And obviously, that's very few, very very extremely few above that. But I think that the mindset that it takes to get to fifty million is not the same as it takes to right. get to five. It's just, those are two different
1: things. Yeah. And they're so and intense. The Go ahead, Jay. Sorry.
2: Uh, I was just saying and, and the risk, the, the mindset and the risk tolerance, you know, the person that's going to take risks to get to five is much different than the person in the mindset that's going to take risks to get to 50 or beyond.
1: And you can totally tell it, you know, when we interview, it's like, you know, the question we always ask pretty much always at the end of the interview is, hey, you know, you have a net worth of 3 million, you have a net worth of 7 million, where do you go from here? Right. And and when you start asking somebody above five or six million dollars, that question, the the difference is, well, look, I want to get to 10. I want to get to 20. I want to get to 100. Right. Yeah. And, the, and when you ask somebody three or four, very few of them say, I want to get to 10. Right, it's mostly like, oh, I'm going to slow things down here. I'm going to spend more time with my family and I'm going to travel, which is great, right? Yeah. But once you get over that five million dollar hurdle, intensity is kicked up a notch. I think.
0: You know, I also think it's it's interesting the number because you guys have hit on something that I hear a lot of people, and maybe it it's just me, but I find that under five million or people that haven't ever even reached that, they have a number. And it's very clearly defined. And most of the time, it's defined based upon living expenses. As in, here's what I've calculated, the life cost that I want to live, right? And I've reached that number. People over 5, 10 million, there's not, the number is vague because it's not as important. It takes a back seat to what they're trying to accomplish, right? Like, I think about this a lot. Like, you know, I've been asked, you know, what's your number? And I'm like, 20% compounded rate of return. It's not a goal, right? It's like, I just want to play the game. And I know that uh, what I'm trying to achieve and things like that. But once at a certain level, it's almost like the retirement mentality. Like, um, you've been trained to think a certain way. You need to er work so much, you need to save it. You need to invest it to get X amount of return so you can live, right? But once you get into that upper class, no, this isn't about me covering necessarily even just my living expenses. It's it's something else. There's something else that they're doing for different reasons. Maybe I'm crazy, but
1: no, no, no. I, no, I totally agree with you. You know, you know what I think it shifts from. It shifts from, hey, what am I going to spend a year, right? Whether that's forty or hundred and fifty, to what do I want my cash flow to be a year to be able to do what I want. And, and I think it's just, I mean, in a sense, they're the same, right? How much am I going to bring in and how much am I going to spend? But I think the mindset, like you, like you just said, is spot on. I think it's different, right? I'm going to spend fifty thousand dollars, and I'm going to, you know, whether that's a percent withdrawal rate and that's what I need and then once I get there I'm done whereas the other one is hey this is the goal I'm looking to and once I have that cash flow I can keep going
0: yeah that's interesting. I, I'm totally getting off here, guys. Like, all okay, right. So we need to get back in here. We got to get back to this thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I think one of the most important things that um, people are trying to really are more interested from your guys' interviews and what people really want to know here is, and we did touch on this, which we need to go back on because this is very important. The mindset of those people, which I want, I want you guys to talk more about on what has stood out to you. And what, you know, what is driving those people, their mindset, all that. But then the actually how they've accomplished it. And once again, the differences and what ties them together. So maybe we can bring it back down to the mindset of those people, the reasons why, why they think it's important, all that kind of stuff in just in general, but then get into the actual accomplishing of either the goal or
2: just that level. I think the biggest thing is just the abundance mindset. I mean they especially the ones that accumulate more and more, it's that that there's enough for everybody. There's enough for, you know, me to have whatever, for my business to do whatever, and there's enough. It's you know, it's not the expense of somebody you know, sleeping on the street or whatever, that I'm going to be successful. Right. So I think that's, I think that's huge, especially for those that, that reach above that 5 million mark, having, you know, a complete abundance, that there's enough to go around, that there's enough for, for mine. I think the next is, is just drive, drive and, and to get there and consistency, you know, being able to, to do it day in, day out, year after year, you know, decade after decade you know, whether it's going to the office, whether it's finding deals all the time in real estate, or whether it's growing your revenues in your business, it's it's the day after day after day after day drive and consistency of making it happen.
1: Yeah, I, I'd agree. And then the other, the other piece I'd add is the other trait that stands out is intentionality. You know, I, I think whether they want 1 million or 100 million they're intentional with their goals. That doesn't mean that they're always goal setters, right? Some yeah. are super into it and some aren't, but they have a point that they wanna to get to and they say, look, I'm, I'm gonna get there. And if they're set back, they just, they keep going. They're intentional with their decisions and it could be investing $100 a month, right? It could be investing $10,000 a month, but either way they're intentional with what they wanna do and, and, and they're aware of what they're doing.
2: I would add to just being self-aware, you know, knowing your strengths, your weaknesses, and being able to kind of put those into play in a marketplace. You know, if you're a great salesperson, make sure that you're in some sort of capacity in your business or, or organization where you're in sales. If you're not, then don't be. You know, don't force yourself into, into into situations where you're just not going to be successful just because of like how you're, you know, essentially wired. You know, and then habits, you know, these these millionaires, so many of them have built you know, a framework of success for themselves that are derived from the habits that they have on a daily and monthly weekly basis. And I think one of those too. you know, we talk about tracking net worth. I mean, that's, I think that's one of them figuring out what kind of passive income you have on a monthly basis and, you know, tracking that, you know, it's hard to keep score when you don't know what the game is. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so if you can tra- keep and Keep score year over year, month over month. You can see where you've come from and say, hey, look, I had this goal. My habits aren't getting me to this goal. What do I need to change? What is the next guy doing that has achieved this goal, that has built these habits? How do I change that framework for myself to be successful, to be able to get to that point? I can't
0: tell you how much I agree with, first of all, both of those uh, uh, those points and how intentional. It, it seems like it's not that big of a deal, but it is a massive separator. And so many people aren't. They're in the job because that's what was offered. Right? They're in the place that they live because that's where they were. There's no overarching plan. They are at the whims of what comes their way and they make decisions based upon those things that fall in front of them. And that's a huge separator because I don't know any any financially successful people in general. I mean, if you're successful with your family, you are intentional about trying to build a relationship with your children, with your spouse, right? If you are successful in anything, you have to be almost over intentional, like obsessive compulsive about it, right? And then you have to be able to track. So you have to be able to know if there's progress and you have to have a measurement of somehow and keep and you're right. And I, I'm not talking about detailed things like that because I know some people that aren't, but it's always on their mind and they know if they're progressing or not.
1: Yeah. So when, when we talk about intentionality, a couple of things that point out to me are, are one finding opportunities or looking for opportunities, and then two, constant growth and learning, right? And changing what you're good at. And that could be anything. That could be in career, that could be in family. But the two stories that come to mind of people that we recently interviewed was one is one is Rob Berger, who was a partner at a law firm and woke up at 5 a.m. every day to to work on his blog, and he eventually sold his blog for I think seven figures, right, Chase? But yep, I mean, I mean, how intentional is that? For years, for a decade, he did it every yeah. single every single working day. Woke up at five a.m. to write for his blog for ten years at like wow. five thirty in the morning. And then a, another story that comes to mind is a is an entrepreneurial one of these entrepreneurial guys, but jumped around like crazy. And and one opportunity he he saw was look, contractors are always late; they never show up on time. Right, and they never keep you. They never keep you updated on what's going on. And so he said, "I'm going to change True. it." And, and so he said, so he started a, a company. And he showed up at 9 a.m. and the person said to him. What are you doing? Like you're not supposed to be on time. And to him that was just intentionality, right? He saw the opportunity, he learned how he could be successful, and that's what he did. And he, and and so the most intentional people I think are always looking for opportunities. It, it could be to change your allocation, it could be to invest in a certain project, it could be to hire or work with good people. And then when they make mistakes, they learn from them. All of these guys are big readers, they're networkers right everybody's just they're constantly trying to be the best version of themselves Yeah, no, uh,
0: that's that's awesome you know you mentioned something that i that i'd like to get your guys's view on you talk about opportunity i'm a big believer in opportunity isn't something that's handed to you it's something that you create what are these guys doing and i guess this leads into probably the next discussion here like what if wh- where how are they executing so how do how do they find that more of those opportunities. And is it, you know, did somebody come up and say, Oh, I've got the deal of a lifetime or, you know, how are they finding this op- uh, opportunity and then what leads them to success? So they, the pathway, right. How are they now getting there?
2: Yeah. I think, you know, the execution piece is, is going back to some of those habits, you know, whether it's making the sales calls, whether it's finding those business opportunities, you know, let's just say, for example, you know, you want to buy storage facilities you want to buy single family real estate What are you doing today to be able to get something under contract tomorrow or even today? You know, and these guys, whether it's real estate or whether it's in their profession, whether they're salespeople or whatever they're doing, they've got these habits that they're that they're putting together on a daily basis to be able to build that pipeline so that, you know, a lot of the work happens more up front you know, right? As you grow and grow, and you get bigger network, then maybe some of that deal flow or some of those opportunities might come to you more than you go and seek them out. But that's something they're doing on a daily basis, weekly, monthly, and tracking it, figuring out where are the opportunities, what are the things I need to go. Whether it's, you know, it's say, take single family homes for example. Like I know these guys that that are literally sending out tons of yellow letters. I mean, they're knocking on doors, they're driving so called for dollars constantly you know, and maybe one out of a hundred they get, but then that one turns into a massive profit and they just keep doing it and doing and doing it. You know, there's a guy that, you know, is in the, in our go abundance group with us, uh, Andrew. And, you know, he, I think it was for, I can't remember how many calls, but I think it was like 2000 call phone calls that the guy made to try to get a deal when he was first starting his real estate career. I mean, just think about that for a second, 2000 phone calls, you know, and that was on top of his like 40 hour a week, you know, job that he was working as an engineer, 2000 phone calls he made before he got an actual job. I mean, talk about dedication and putting in the work and putting in the time. And now he's a big syndicator, but that's what it takes. And that's what a lot of these successful people are doing on a daily basis behind the scenes, you know, behind closed doors to get to the point to where they are now, where they can get on our podcast, you know, come on our podcast and tell their story.
1: So two that, two that stand out to me, uh, Jace mentioned one is, is sending out, uh, flyers, or yellow papers to, to offer to buy single family homes. So there's a group down in Houston that we talked to, he and his partner, I think have sent out like 10,000 know, mailers to people offering to buy their home. And, and he says, look, I only hear back from 5% of them and of 5%, one of 1% of them is serious, you know, and maybe half a percent of them turn into something, but he's spending, I think 30, $40,000 a year just to send these things out. You know, you wouldn't know that. And then another guy, the guy that lived in OKC that we recently interviewed, he would drive around with his grandma. That was kind of a way that he would spend time with her. And they just drive around and look for deals. And he just contact if, if, if he saw something for sale that he liked or if he saw something that he liked that wasn't for sale. But, you know, he would reach out. But that was his way is he would just drive around once a week, like every Wednesday night with his grandma so he could be intentionally spending time with her. And that's how he would be productive while also be being productive in this other facet of his life. So I think it's it's all over, right? And then for the jander who's never made more than 60K and is now worth 1.5, for him, I think intentionality is staying true to who he is and saying, look, the you know, I don't need big things. I don't need expensive things and I'm just gonna continually invest and I'm gonna do what I can to learn right i'm going to meet with the people so i can understand what i'm investing in i'm going to listen to podcasts i'm going to read books i'm going to absorb as much content as i can so that i can learn and see where i want to direct my investments
0: with here you know you kind of mentioned some of these things is a lot of these people are reinvesting their returns now out of these people that are reinvesting their returns their incomes they're all over the table as you guys have kind of mentioned this is it, I, I love this because it, it's a way to take out excuses, right? Out of the people, though, that you've met, they may not have, how many of these guys, I guess what I'm looking for here is most of them, even with downsides, even with failures, even with, you know, absolutely crippling tragedy or whatnot, they still remained intentional. They still kept it going, at least from what I see from those people. When you guys are interviewing, these guys, what's their background like? I mean, what's their, do they, are they all cut from the same cloth? Is there a trend of people from Arizona or way? I mean, what are these people's background and the lives that they live outside their finance, outside their job, whatever that may be? Uh, what does their lives look like?
1: The thing that stands out to me is how many of them come from poor backgrounds. I think a lot of them do, not everybody, of course, right? But a lot of them do. and And I don't know what drives that, right? I think for some of them, it's, hey, I want to give my kids or myself a better life. I think some of them is just they may have been poor, but they knew how to work, right? And that's initially what helped them get a high enough paying job or something that could help them in, invest. Um, I, I think a big drive is probably similar to what it is for you and I. It's their kids, it's their family is a big drive, you know, obviously not for, for some of them, right? They may not have a family or be married or whatever, but that's something that we constantly hear, right? Is that's what's most important, right? If I could trade it all, if I could get rid of my 10 million, like the family is what's important. Now then, I think you have to ask yourself, right? Are my decisions lining up with what I'm saying, you know? And, and that's one thing, I don't know, right? I think everybody has to ask, ask themselves that question, but what they're saying to us is, look, this is what's driving me, is the family, but... I've been surprised at how many have had to learn on their own. You know, I think, I think the people that are, are born into a home where their parents teach them about money and teach them about investing and take them on a vending machine route or help them run their real estate, that's the smaller group, I would say, of people. But still happens, of course.
2: I'd add to that, you know, a lot of them are educated. They, they went to some sort of college or professional school and, and learned a skill and, and we're able to kind of take that skill into the marketplace and, and get paid well for it. Even if it was a trade, you know, we've had a plumber on actually, I think two now, you know, and they're, those professions too are are, are ones that, you know, I, I think a lot of us overlook in a lot of ways. It's not the, it's not the sexy white collar tech world that, that we've kind of like been exposed to. But you know, when you call a plumber up, like the guy's charging you 300 bucks an hour for his time to come fix your toilet or whatever. And so a lot of these professions and, and things we've seen people they've gained some education or skill in a specific area and have been able to really become best area or maybe two areas in, in some cases, you know, with, with they own a business in two separate separate areas. That's I think that's and it's continual education. You know, they're continually learning like Clark said, to get better, to be the best versions of themselves. And it takes time. It takes building those habits and and compounding it like you said. It's not just compounding money. It's compounding like those habits that really drive people to to get to the point where they are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, 60s even. So they're in
0: it for the long run. This isn't a short-term thing. These people, no. are they're they're intentional and they're okay doing what has to be done and they're in it for the
2: long haul. Totally. I'll tell you what they're not doing with the exception of maybe one, one person on our podcast, not very many of them talk about their Netflix binges or Mm -hmm. spending all sorts of time, like, you know, watching television or, or, you know, these things that might be portrayed as, you know, relaxation or whatever. I mean, if you look at their daily habits, what they're doing, you know, not all of them wake up early either. Some of them sleep in and wake and, you know, work till 2am kind of deal. That was been surprising. You know, I think I grew up with the notion that a lot of them wake up and I wake up early. It's just natural. I think growing up on the West Coast kind of pushed some of that too. In the Northwest in the summer, the sun's up at like 4 a.m. So it's like hard to sleep in. But they're up, they're on schedule, they're not taking time to, you know, waste. They're not sitting there watching TV. You know, they're very intentional with their schedules all day long. And then like Clark said earlier, you know, they're networking in the evenings or spending time with their families doing the things that are important to them versus, you know, spending time at leisure that might, you know, include watching Netflix for two and three and four hours or whatever, you know, whatever people do at night. I don't know, but you know, that's definitely not one thing that they're, they're doing, that they've told us they're doing. Right.
0: Yeah. You said something in there. You were surprised. I'd like to know what surprised you the most out of interviewing all of these people. What were the things that you before, I think, changed your way of thinking or ch- changed how you viewed wealth and how you viewed the people that obtain it.
1: For me, it's, it's how many different ways there are to do it. Even, even in a similar asset class, you think real estate, right? I mean, we've had people do it through Airbnbs, multifamily, syndications, single family, house hacking, land, mobile home parks. I mean, everything. Right. I mean, and, and I, I feel like we kind of stereotype people, you know, if someone's wealthy, it's like, Oh, how'd they get rich? Oh, he did it. He did it in real estate. Right. And it's like, what does that mean? It could be a host of things. And, and for some people, there's no real estate, but for a lot of people, there's small business building furniture inside of a church. You know, I mean, I mean who, who would ever think about that and say, my gosh, this guy's killing it. He's worth $6 million because he's building furniture for a church. Yeah. You know, he's doing church restoration. You you never would think of it. And so that that's kind of one thing that I've learned and maybe that's just naive and something I should have known before, but that's something that just all these quirky things you hear about and and if you really start to think about it in life, there's so many different ways to make money. Right. And, and these people have just found the opportunities and a lot of them are the same. A lot of them are traditional, right? They're a lawyer, they're a doctor, they might not do anything on the side, but a lot of people that do stuff on the side or they're more entrepreneurial. I mean, it's amazing. Some of the opportunities and some of the jobs and little niches they found to help make them money.
2: I think I'd add to that, that one of the biggest surprising surprises for me is just kind of the mindset in general. That that it takes, and, and like we discussed a little bit, I think that block of one to five, and then the five to fifty, and fifty plus. I mean, having the mindset to get to that point, it's a different way of thinking. Like I firmly believe there's a formula to success. Now I also believe that formula might be different for different people and how they kind of approach it. But there's there's a way of thinking that wins, and a lot of these millionaires have it. And I would say that some of them have probably got there without that way of thinking. They've just been real consistent with their expenses and been able to put money and and you know let time basically work for them. But the way of thinking to win and get to those higher levels of of wealth and cash flow and you know success in business or whatever it might be and or sales there is a way of thinking that wins and seeing that play out as we've interviewed a lot of these people, I think has probably been one of the more surprising things for me because I think, you know, I grew up in an environment where all I knew was what my parents were doing. Right. Like none of my parents' friends talked about any of this stuff, even to this day. Like I'm surprised at how many of my friends aren't aren't really open or don't really want to talk finances or don't want to go over this stuff. I'm like, dude, I want to have a conversation about this. Like I don't really care. Like I want to learn. Like, I'm willing to, like, financially address myself so that I can, like, learn from somebody who's, you know, been there, done that, and I can learn from and can look, you know, point holes and stuff in my approach. And I think just in our society, it's just so taboo to, like, talk about it almost in a way. You know, which is funny because you go look at like, let's just say, for example, Tiger 21, like, which I don't know if maybe a ton of people don't know, but it's a group of of very wealthy individuals, 10 million plus on average, and they get together and they talk about strategies to build wealth. Interesting, right? Like these guys who have already gotten there and they're talking about more strategies to get wealthier and all the things that come with wealth and, you know, family and passing it down and everything else. And they have this group and they talk about it. Why are people that are making a hundred thousand dollars not, right? Yeah, or fifty thousand yeah. dollars, whatever it might be. Maybe some of them are. I'm just not part of them. I don't know. But like that kind of thing, like yeah. figuring out that process to win, I think has been kind of surprising as we've interviewed a lot of these millionaires and seeing the difference between those that are one to five, five to fifty. If we're you know putting them in that bucket, and fifty plus. So. It's funny that
0: you say that because I started in sales, right? So I started in insurance sales and I was so curious about this because my father had been successful in sales and I would ask people because my father was open about it and I'd ask people all the time, oh, how much money do you make? And I didn't understand that these weren't subjects you talk about. In fact, <laughs> not only not talk about I didn't understand that that was... I, I mean, I'm not even kidding. I could have asked them if they made love the night before, and it would have been better. It was like the look <laughs> they true. gave me yeah. Crazy. was shocking. And I'm yeah. like, okay, so how's that you know, dirty magazine you're reading right there? Oh, well, that's great. And it that blew my mind. I'm like, to me, that is like so taboo. And you're sitting there with your buddies talking about all this crap, but then if you even begin to talk financially, dude, what, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? Like, totally. And, but what I found was that was taboo to talk about. And I quickly learned that the people that were wealthy and made a lot of money, immediately they'd tell me. There was no hesitation. And then not only they'd tell me, they'd look at me and say, what other questions do you have? Yeah, and What can I help you with? What can I help you with? And I could carry on a discussion about their finances for 30 minutes with them. And they would tell me about what kind of insurance they were buying. They'd tell me how they got started. They would tell me about what they've invested in. And then they'd tell me about how much money they lost when they invested in something else, right? And, oh, it was so stupid. I can't believe it. I lost 30 grand on that. Whereas people, they want to tell you your income. That was so shocking to me.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree. And and that's something we should should say. I, I think everyone, pretty much everybody that we've interviewed is, is that way.
2: We, we ask right. them at the end, you know, Hey, how do you, do you talk about this with your friends and family, Do your friends and family? No. And I, and I get it with the family, close friends and stuff. I understand like they're, that may not be prudent for those conversations to be had, but so many of them are like, Oh no, 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 no. And then they come to us. They want us to like create a group. And we yeah. are for these people that kind of have these conversations. Because they you know, want to talk about it. Yes. They want right? to talk about it. You.
0: But if you go to other people, and which, which is ludicrous because the people that should hear about it don't want to. Right. And you're like, okay, I guess I'll go talk to the other people that don't even need to hear about it. But we will have those discussions. I mean, okay, we can all say right now, we all pay money to be a part of a group to talk about this stuff. That's totally. pretty weird. <laughs> like, really? You know, I mean, let's just, let's just say it out loud. That's, you know, uh, what I mean. And I then these are things I pay to talk about with people that really? I would not talk to people in my church about because I would be so terrified that I would offend them. And I'd be so terrified that they would never talk to me because I've already done that. <laughs> and I've made people very mad at me. Yeah. Uh, I just think that's, that's really No,
1: I, I, I totally agree with you that the people that are successful and have been successful are the ones that want to talk about it and are willing to, right? That's half the reason that they're willing to come on the show and talk about it is because they hope that what they say and the advice they give is going to resonate with somebody and it's going to help them. But then at the end of each interview, it's always, how can we help you guys? What can we do for you? Yeah. Right? It's it's that way of thinking of helping. Whereas we're sitting there like, no, you did us a favor by coming on, taking an hour of your time, sharing your story, let it, letting us pick your brain about anything we want to ask. And here you are at the end after an hour of your time saying, what else do you got for me? What else can I help with?
0: You just hit on something too that I, I think I have. So I lived in an area that was economically challenged for a while. And we were around a bunch of trailer parks and a lot of things, which me and my wife loved because we were able to serve all the time. The people were our family and we were, we wanted some more land. So we were moving to another area. When we announced the area that we were moving to, The first response from virtually everybody was, You're moving to the snobs. And uh, (laughs) oh, so you're going to move. You're not going to have any friends because they're all stuck up. Right. And I was taken back by that because there was this perception that wealthy people are sitting on some kind of high horse. They don't help, they don't talk to other people or whatnot. And then you show up in the area. And once we moved, not only was it not that, we had never been surrounded and we were, it was almost overboard with people. We're like, we're fine. Leave me alone on my Saturday. I don't need you to come help me do my yard work. Like it was just, everybody is outpouring. And that is a universal concept that I found that people, the people that make the most, give the most back, they help the most, that they create opportunity through creating opportunity for others, that they understand that universal principles. That economically speaking, you gain economically by giving. And uh, I've never found that to be true. That not only do they not want to talk, do they not want to help, that they are over the top almost in what they'll do for you and their first run and help. And uh, they are very outgoing. And so I I don't know, maybe maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe it's just my little area that I've been in, but they're always the first... To jump in.
1: No, I agree with you. And I think that's, you know, Dave Ramsey right at the end of his what seven baby steps or something. It's like live and give, give like nobody else. Right. And, and so I think there's an inherent part of us that when we struggle, if we've done it ourselves and we've made it, you look back and you help people. You know, if, if someone asks us for podcasting advice, I'm happy to give it. Because I've spent tons of time trying to figure it out myself. And if I can help make it easier for somebody else, I'm happy to, right? And I think that's how these millionaires and obviously how you feel and others that are successful is, look... If I've struggled to be successful and I've, I've tried to make it and I've worked hard, you know, I would love to mentor because there were people that did it to us along the way and we're grateful for that in return. So if we can give, great. And and you don't want to say everybody's like that because that's probably not true. But I think the majority of, of wealthy people that we've interacted with, at least on our show, are.
2: And it's fun to watch people be successful that you've helped, you know? I mean, there's, yes. there's like no greater feeling than watch no. somebody take some of your advice Yeah. or some recommendation you gave him and watched him just flourish with it dude i got a kid that i mentored
0: and he came to me he's like i'll work for you for free and he kept bugging me right anyways i ended up actually hiring him but i paid him <laughs> not i didn't make him work for me for free but and i just mentored him every day he asked me to be his mentor what not he made like this big online company he's got all these properties now and he's like 24 and it's just like seriously it's like Watching a son grow up. You're just like, you're so proud. It's awesome. Yeah, I didn't do it. Like, I didn't do it at all. I'm not even in his industry. It was 100% him. But it was just so cool to see somebody make it and to think, wow, I got to help out in his success, right? Totally. Now, now, along these lines, I got to ask you, what have you guys changed? What have you guys changed in your lives Hearing about all these guys, how they're being successful, you're you're getting the secret sauce. What are you guys doing now? what are you what are you changing in your lives?
1: For me, I, I think there's a couple things. I think I've been more focused or I guess more driven to be more entrepreneurial and more focused in real estate than just in the market. I think you know, Jason, and I had a long conversation about this last night, actually, it, you know, cash flow is the goal right? Mm -hmm. You want it because you want wealth. You want to live life how you want to. You want to live it on your time. You want to- Cash flow to freedom. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's what you want though, right? You want the money to do things and the time to do it, how you want to do it, when you want to do it, with who you want to do it, where you want to do it, all that. And so if that's the goal, you know, from, from what I've learned, the quickest way to do it is through real estate and small business. So that's one for me. And then two would be to get that intentionality, I think you have to learn. So I think goal setting has to be intentional. I think reading has to be intentional, networking, all that. I think when you start, for, for Jason, it's easy because we're always talking to these people. But when you start listening to these type of podcasts or these type of conversations, I think innately, you just start to be more driven and more successful, right? When you hang around that those people, right? You're like the balance of the five people you're around is, is the quote that's often used. But I think that's the case. When you hear these conversations, when you read the books, when you're constantly in these environments, you're forced to be that way. You have to be. And, and the mundane things like the Netflix binging and the TV shows, it just, it doesn't mean as much to you anymore. So that's kind of the two things I've gotten out of it is just a more clear vision of where I want to go. And then the innate focus to keep it going that way.
2: Yeah. And I just piggyback on that, that, that figuring out how I want to do it, what I want my story to be listening to all these stories and being like, yeah, I don't want my story to, particularly sound like that. I resonate more with this one kind of thing. And, and that's something we found with a lot of our listeners too. Our listeners resonate with somebody that's on the path or going on the path that they want to go on. And I think that's something that I've taken to, to heart for myself figuring out what path I want and, and kind of having a big mindset shift too and figuring out like, you know, I came to probably 20, early 20s. You know, I've been investing in the market for six or seven years at that point already from money that I'd made, you know, as a teenager and kind of moving that shift to no, I want to have more control, real estate, small business. That's how I want my story to be written. And then Oh, by the way, I need to start hanging out with and getting around more people that are, are more successful. They're at places in their lives, five, 10, 15, 20 years down the road of where I want to be, but I need to get there and be around them now so I can learn how they think. I love that.
0: Now for the listeners here, before we wrap up here, you guys have just been so kind with your time. I'm very appreciative of you guys coming on here and sharing with us all these things that you guys have learned and you know what you're all about for the listeners that are sitting there because we've all been there right we've all been there going you look up at these guys you hear their stories and you almost idolize them and you say i'm not them i can't do that I hear their story and because they said their story in 30 minutes and it's this amazing, great story. Well, I don't have anything like that. My life's been hard and boring or whatever it may be, you know, because you're hearing the highlight reel. Are these things learnable? Can these be implemented and taught?
1: And it feels so far away, right? Yeah. If you're you're just starting to invest and you're you're listening to a guy that has five, 10 million and has all these things and has syndicated all these properties or has sold things and, and you're standing there like, look, I got $200,000 or $50,000 or negative $200,000. Gosh, you know, what's the path for me? Right. And, and, I resonate with that, right? I, I think both of us do. I think you probably do, right? We've had to work for where we are, and it, it's hard. We've tried on our podcast to throw in interviews with people that have a smaller net worth, but that are kind of of the same mindset and thinking that way to kind of help capture those people that say, "Look, here's a 35-year-old that's worth 350, right? But this is what he's doing now to get to where he wants to be." And that's that's a question we've tried to ask: is, "Look, what were you doing in your 20s?" What were you doing in your thirties so that you can get to where you are, you know, to get to where you are now? Cause now you're 50 and you're worth six, but what were you doing in your twenties to get there? And so I, I think just kind of keeping that focus on where you're at now, because I totally agree with you. When you start thinking of the big picture and you're 25 years old or 30 years old or, and have a smaller net worth or a negative net worth of student debt or something like that, you get lost. Right? And, and yeah. it becomes discouraging and demotivating. But I think finding the small things and you know, maybe that's the Dave Ramsey baby steps to get out of debt and then you can start investing. Maybe that's the, hey, I'm going to house hack and buy my first thing. Um, but I, I think just kind of keeping focus on on the little things and not getting bogged down in the huge picture because I think, yeah, yes. I, I totally agree. I think it's challenging.
2: Hard to see the forest through the trees. I would add to that too. Anybody that you've seen that's successful or has gone to someplace, they've, they've had their struggles. Everybody's, you know, nothing's very few people in this world get everything just handed to them to the point that they don't have to do anything. And, you know, I think back in, and, and Clark and I have had many discussions about this and it, don't get me wrong. I, I didn't grow up. I, gr- I grew up in a very good environment, but I also made some crazy sacrifice, I man. I, it shocks people to this day. that I told them, like, I, work, I woke up at 4.30 every day for six years while I played varsity basketball, do a paper route and delivered papers from the time that I was 13. You know, and to me at the time, I was like, dude, I just want to earn some money. I want to make some money. I got this lawn care business. I want to do this, you know, and it was looking back. I'm like, how the freak did I do that? Because there's no days off in a paper route. I mean, we don't even have paper routes probably nowadays, but, you know, back when I was a teenager, we did. And then... You know, I look at some of the other stuff that that Clark and I have done, you know, and other people we know, like, you know, there's a, there's a guy that I know who's a realtor, couldn't get a driver's license in this country. And he was getting rides from all sorts of people using Uber, all this stuff to be a six figure realtor, you know, and just stuff like that. You just see like some of these sacrifices. like everybody that gets it to that point, they've had something along the way that, that has propelled them or that they've had to struggle through or they've had to overcome. And I wouldn't shy away from it either. I think some of those are some of the more character building. I had a conversation with a friend not too long ago, he's a big hedge fund manager. And, you know, he told me, he's like, Oh man, you know, now that I'm here, like I would have totally taken an inheritance or something. And I'm like, you know what? Like I wouldn't like, I like, being able to kind of say, Hey, look, I've grinded all this. I've done all this. These are the things that I had to do along the way, because it kind of shapes who you, who you are and it shapes some of your thinking. And, you know, some of those people, you know, some of the people that are most successful are financially successful in our country are immigrants you know, they came here with absolutely nothing, you know, and, and their story is such that they basically literally came from rags to riches. And so those people that, that might be listening to say, oh, it's, it's too far away. Start with today start with tracking your habits today, you know, start with figuring out what it's going to take to get to tomorrow to the next day, week after week and build some goals and build a plan and execute on it. I mean, that's the other thing too. I didn't mention earlier with some of these millionaires. I'm so just with the mind is powerful and seeing like your goals written down, like, and reviewing them frequently. I've just been amazed watching some of these millionaires. Like, yeah, I write, you know, I write these goals down, I look at them every day and I, they, they just happen. It's second nature. I just have, they just make my, you know, my mind just sees them and it happens, you know, because yeah. they're looking at them all the time. It's just subconsciously. They are like, no, I'm going to do that. Like, that's just, it's done. Consider it done Yeah. Okay. because it's written down. They put the plan in, they have the habit and they just continue to do it.
1: I mean, if, if you want to hear a story of overcoming trial and, and grinding and having hardships, that's you, right? I mean, you listen to that interview that we're going to launch on Monday, that'll be December 9th. AJ's story. I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, I'm sitting there and brought to tears in the interview because of the power to keep going and the will and the desire and and what keeps you moving in, in a, a trial like that. Right. And obviously most people never have to go through something like that. But I find strength myself in the stories of others, right? Whether that's somebody's struggle in a family, financially, spiritually, emotionally, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. That's what builds me up is when I'm down, I can turn to somebody and say, look, if this guy did it, like I can too. Me too. And I, and so I think learning about the lives of others is, is what helps drive it as well.
0: Well, and two, I think this is really important. I lived in Brazil. I served a mission for my church and I had the absolute wonderful pleasure of living with these people that lived in utter poverty. And You know, although they were so happy and the most loving people in the world, they didn't know there was a life outside that poverty, being poverty and being wealthy in that country is appointed by a government and everyone's poor. And the only reason you're not is if the government awarded you the ability to not be. And so there is no, they don't have a concept of anything outside that. And stories build and show us a world that is possible. And uh, I think that's why we love podcasts. I think that's why what like you guys are doing and bringing these people to the table to show other people, say, look, this is real. This, this is real. It can happen. And if they can do it, you can too. And I think for most people, that's what we need to know. We need to know it's possible. And when you get stuck in a poverty cycle and you can't see out of it, it's just because you don't believe it's possible anymore. You've lost it. And when I was in Brazil, it was very clear. It was, there was no other option and there never was going to be. And so they didn't even think about it because it didn't matter. And uh, By the sharing of stories and things like you guys are doing, you're showing people, listen, there's another path and there's another way. And we're blessed enough to live in the United States where that is an actual way. Anyone from the janitor can put your hand to it. So I think it's awesome what you guys are doing. Thank you. Thank you. No, guys, I don't want to keep you all night, but I I could just talk to you guys about this for absolutely ever. It's such an awesome subject. I'm so passionate about it because I'm so curious about it. Uh, you know, social economics and things like that. That's like, I'm just really, really interested in it. And I, I too, like you guys, I want more tools at my disposal to shape a life that I want to live. And you're giving that to people. It's awesome. Thank you guys for everything you're doing. How can people find you?
1: Yeah. uh, Website, millionairesunveiled.com, also on Stitcher, iTunes, you know, Spotify, all the, all the stations. Again, we're going to launch your interview December 9th. That's this Monday. So if you want to hear AJ's story, um, podcast titled Millionaires Unveiled.
0: Awesome, and the, a lot of these people that you guys are talking about—they're on your podcast. I mean, everybody. Seriously, you want to hear amazing stories? You want to hear people that are actually doing it, they're living through it? You guys got to go listen to their podcast. Absolutely phenomenal. And every time you guys have a new new person get on, it's a totally new story. It's it's totally different. Um, I just it's it's great content. So thank you guys for everything you do, and we'll put it in the show notes too. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks. AJ. Thanks, AJ. Yep. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at cashflowwiththenumber2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.